Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in. There are an estimated 22,000 software development firms and 28 million software developers worldwide. Yet, with just the right partners, a company can create a robust digital ecosystem to reach new markets and grow exponentially. But engineering teams need help keeping up with technological advancements, shifting corporate cultures, and the consistent desire to keep moving forward. Today, I am joining Ryan Chartrand, CEO of X-Team, and Sudi Neville, CEO of SID Global Solutions, to discuss building partnerships that accelerate digital growth. To support the show, visit chrishood.com show, subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform, follow us on social media, or you can email me directly, show at chrishood.com. I'm Chris Hood, and let's get connected. Connecting. Access granted. It's the Chris Hood Digital Show, where global business and technology leaders meet to discuss strategy, innovation, and digital acceleration. Five, four, three, two, one. Your digital evolution starts now. Your host, Chris Hood. Welcome to the show. So grateful to have you joining us today. Ryan, please share a little bit about yourself and X-Team. Absolutely, Chris. Great to see you again. It's been a long time. I'm Ryan Chartrand, CEO of X-Team, and uh, X-Team provides high-performing, on-demand teams of engineers to uh, fast-growing companies. So Fox Broadcasting is one. Riot Games, Coinbase, I mean, all, all sorts of, of great brands we work with. So we've been around 15 years. So our whole take is actually in the remote model. And so we're, we're distributed in 75 countries around the world. And the beauty of what we're able to do is, is assemble engineering teams all over the world in various time zones and, and make that work really well for partners that we work with. Yeah, excited to talk today about the various models of what it's like to partner with an engineering company and make the most of that. So I think we got some great things to talk about today. Sudi, please share a bit about yourself and Sid Global. Hi, I'm Sudi Neville. I'm the CEO of Sid Global Solutions Digital. We've been in business since early 2000s and kind of have had two evolving pivots, if you want to call it. You know, around 2010, gotten into enterprise and engineering capabilities, got global at that point in time, and around 2015, pivoted into digital transformation services. What we've been doing since then is providing the services for most of these Fortune companies to enable the digital journey and essentially across the value chain, but started the whole thing with API at the center of our offering. And we built capabilities downstream, upstream to help enable. And, and, and it just so happened that for our top four verticals, banking and financial services, healthcare, telco, and retail, we do have a long tail of uh, verticals and pretty much can pull an example for every one of those. We do have shops in uh, India with Hyderabad and Bangalore, and we've most recently opened offices in Singapore, Philippines, Dubai. So we certainly have presence in North America and APAC and Middle East, and, and we'll continue to expand our regions as we go through this journey. Glad to be here and uh, looking forward to this conversation. I invited both of you on today because you both build what we are going to call today digital partnerships with a wide range of organizations and industries that are all confronted with the same challenges, digital transformation, 
digital acceleration, software development. All of these challenges are impacting businesses. Ryan, when you begin working with new clients or even some of your existing clients, what types of conversations are you having with them? Yeah, I mean, this is this is an interesting time, right? Because we have a lot of things in the world of tech colliding at the same time. We have, you know, mass layoffs is probably the biggest one. And this idea of, well, we need to actually reduce engineering teams as much as possible. And so you have this sort of pullback on backlogs and roadmaps and innovation to some extent, right? Like there's less money for innovation in, in a year like 2023. And at the same time, you have AI emerging that is completely changing everything so rapidly that it's impossible to ignore the innovation opportunities that exist there. And so I think companies are struggling with this need to pull back due to the market combined with the opportunities for innovation that have never existed before. And so I think that's kind of the interesting thing watching with you know the companies we partner with is trying to find that right balance. How do we not fall behind, but how do we also more responsibly grow rather than something like 2021 where everyone just rapidly hired thousands and thousands of people uh, for engineers? And I'm very curious to hear also uh, from Sudi on this, especially in the enterprise world. I'm, I'm curious if that struggle is also being seen or if, uh, if it's still full steam ahead or if it's still a lot of pullback. But yeah, that's, that's kind of what we're seeing is this struggle to figure out how much do we want to risk our future of innovation during a year like this? Yeah, so I, I think the macroeconomic aspects that you touched on certainly has an impact when we talk to the enterprise customers as well. One of the things that is probably different in how I see it is it's a little bit more siloed because one is when people talk about resourcing, they're talking about it in a different dimension than when they're talking about doing business and enabling the digital journey for their customers. Somehow, you know, they don't seem to mesh them together when they're having that conversation. However, what we have seen as an impact is things are taking longer for them to make decisions, which is the paradox, right? In, in a situation like this, you want to be able to make faster decisions. And there is a lot more ask of the partners to invest and showcase before, even though you've been working with them, they're like, okay, you know, can you actually get me to a certain stage before I can invest in? So I think they're kind of in some places being cautious, in some places it's a reality check, but that certainly is what, what we are seeing from an enterprise perspective when we have those conversations early in the cycle. To go off of that, how are you able to ensure that their goals are being met or expectations? Because oftentimes we all have unrealistic expectations. How do you align those goals with your engagement models? If I were to use the model that we have used that has helped us be successful is what we call as a day zero or a minimum viable business outcome model, which is very critical because one of the things that, that we have seen is, first of all, how do you define success, right? A lot of the times people are looking at success uh, for the immediate consumer of your platform or applications. But one of the things that is critical is you have to look at your customer's customer, right? It's just very important to look at it from that perspective. So helping them understand 
and driving some of those success criteria initially and then breaking it down and, and getting them to those minimum viable outcomes, right, is the probably the best that has helped us. I'm not saying that every one of them will go through that journey because a lot, there is a lot of uh, what I would call as situational pressures that each enterprise goes through. So we have to, you know, navigate each of those enterprise in a certain way. You know, I've had situations where we've been called in to do through a rapid response, get us out of a crisis mode, right? Literally, and very different uh, success criteria versus when somebody is coming and telling me I need to expand and bring thousand partners this year. So how do I make that happen? So uh, it, it, it's very dependent on, on those situations or circumstances. And that's what you know helps us define that initial six week, nine week, or a 10 week or a 20 week program. Um, that, that'll get us to uh, uh, an element of success and build on top of it. The biggest risk right now is coming in with a less, how can we achieve more with less sort of strategy, which I think is every CIO's goal at the moment. You know, how do we keep the roadmap going without necessarily uh, needing to invest more? That's very risky, especially when working with a partner because of how many elements you don't really know about on their side that that's going to impact. Think of think of an engineering team, for example. And then anytime, anytime you go to an engineering team and say, hey guys, we're going to do more with less this year, which means we're cutting QA, we're cutting DevOps, you know, we're, we're cutting all the things that you needed to do your job well, when we have the same expectations. And so I think it's this is the most critical time if you're partnering with an engineering company to really figure out what those true, like you were saying, the minimum viable outcomes are really be honest about them, really be clear about them and understand also what's happening on the partner's side. How is the macro climate impacting morale on, on their side? And how, how is it impact? Like, are they losing a lot of people? Are they, are they still well-equipped? Like it's a partnership at the end of the day. And so you have to find ways to, to be fully aligned together going into a journey like this, rather than just saying, hey, you're our vendor, do more with less. That's just not going to end well. You have to really come at it as a partnership. Yeah, so Ryan, I, I think that's an important point, right? One thing, you know, Chris, that I've seen to Ryan's point is this is consistently a challenge for us, right? So we actually talk about a minimum viable business outcome and say it's going to be a nine-week program. And inevitably, everybody says, okay, what is the resourcing requirement from our side? So we give them, we need X number of resources, so many full-time, so many part-time. I haven't seen one program where they're able to allocate the right resources from their side. There's always an expectation that they will somehow squeeze by, get partial allocation, and get the maximum out of it. And 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 that has been a consistent challenge almost in every program that I've seen. You know, all good relationships are built on a solid foundation of trust. You touched on it, Ryan. Honesty. How honest do you have to be with your partners? That's such a such a good question, and and I think you nailed it. It's uh, it's expectations, and so c- coming from the remote work world, for example, expectations are are everything. You can't see people, so you have to trust in them, and the only way you can hold them accountable is if you've given them clear expectations. Same thing goes in any type of partnership. If you aren't giving the most incredibly clear expectations, I like us when we're when we're having conversations with them about what's our one going to look like. 
You know, what do you want that to look like? What do you want day one to look like? What do you want week one to look like? What do you want month one? What do you want quarter? Like, I want to know as in-depth as possible too. You know, what etiquette do you want us to use on PR reviews? How do you want us to interact with your PMs? Like, I want as much detail and clarity and honesty around that clarity as possible to make this thing work. It's And like you said, it's just like a relationship. How do you have a great marriage? You get as clear as possible on every little detail, every little boundary you have. Otherwise, you're going to run into friction. And obviously, you know, once you run into friction, how do you course correct? Well, that's another good partnership. But I'm, I'm all about expectations and going as incredibly detailed and clear as possible. And like you said, being honest, the honest part is probably the hardest part about our market. Uh, and, I, and I'll say it for <laughs> the many software companies out there. Finding an honest one is very, very difficult, just like it's hard to find an honest partner who's going to be honest and clear about their expectations. It is risky out there with software engineering companies, so you have to be careful. And I think the best way you can quickly find out is by giving them sort of an initial project or a small piece of something that they can work on and just see if they care about the expectations, right? If they don't even care about the expectations, they're already setting you up <laughs> to be able to say, well, you didn't tell us this, you didn't tell us this. And now we're going to charge you four more SOWs for all the things that you never told us about. If in the first conversations, they're trying to get that clarity from you, then you know you have likely a, a more honest partner because they care about actually delivering what you want. You know, I, I'll hit the second part of that equation, right? The first part of the equation is building trust based on what you know. But a lot of the challenges that we face is an unknown. I'd say unknown even within the context of the landscape in the enterprise. One group if you're working with has no clue about a major initiative in another group that is going to have a significant impact on them. So I think building resilience mechanisms into the process is extremely important, right? What happens when something hits the fan, right? To your point, the trust is, you know, the definition of partnership is having shared interests, right? I mean, so, so as long as we figure that part out, I think we can work together. But that requires victories, that requires time, that requires relationship at all levels to evolve, emerge, and, 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 and it takes time. I have not seen that happen easily and, and without a crisis. In fact, I have almost inevitably seen that maybe one or two crisis situations actually strengthens your relationship. Um, so so I, I think sometimes, you know, that resiliency is what has helped us build more trust and then work for a longer term partnership. We should give listeners some hope here. I think we've kind of painted a picture of uh, <laughs> good luck building relationship with a, a partner company. But Chris, I think it's perfect that it's you and I here today because, you know, we met at Fox and X team's been working with Fox almost 15 years now. You can build that trust. It's just a matter of finding that alignment and really being confident in it. And you have to take those extra steps and somebody has to do that. And you, you just have to try. And I, I agree with you. I don't think it's all gloom. I certainly see that there are a lot of positive relationships, but it goes through the ebbs and flows and you have to put in the effort to make it work. If we take that, long healthy relationships and partnerships with organizations return to you because you've built that trust. On the flip side, 
there's a culture you have to get integrated with. How critical is that you understand the culture and your team is able to seamlessly integrate into the culture? Yeah, I mean, culture is interesting because there's, I think, a few different types of culture, right? There's geographic culture. It's very different when we work with an APAC company versus an LA company or a, an Asian company versus a, a European company. Uh, so th there's the geographic side of, of trying to adapt there. And again, it's about being upfront and honest. You know, Tell us, get those expectations as clear as possible so we know what we're coming into. So that we know <laughs> when you use slang or something that you're not actually mad at us, uh, that that's actually just a geographic cultural thing. And then actual values of the company. I think, you know, eventually there's going to come a day when prod's going to break during the Oscars or something, right? And your your team is offline. And what's that expectation? You know, culturally, some companies are going to be like Silicon Valley and say, I can't believe you weren't up at 2 a.m. to take care of this. Well, it wasn't in the contract. Oh, well, we just had the ex expectation that you were our partners. And so why weren't you there? You have to get those expectations as clear as possible uh, on, on the cultural side in terms of what level of hustle do you expect of us, right? Like, how can we be exactly what you want to be? And so you just have to have those ex expectations discussions, like I said, as, as deeply as possible because there's so much to learn. And it's, and it's also, here's the most fascinating thing. It's not just at the company level. It's at the team level. It's every single team has their own culture and approach and best practices and backgrounds and histories. Like there's so much for you to, to dive in and learn if you really want to make it a successful partnership. And, and I think you, you touched on two of the three dimensions. Obviously, they are important. But the other one that I think we want to add to what you just outlined is, you know, what is the nature of work we're doing, right? Are you bringing in a partner to be a disruptor or an accelerator? If you're bringing in a disruptor, don't bring in somebody that is aligned with your culture. When I say work culture, not talk about the other two dimensions, right? So it is, it's actually important to think about those two things, right? Um, and in, in a way, you know, I, I'll use Blockbuster. I know everybody has used this example. If they brought in a partner who was a disruptor and did not think about their culture, it'd be a different story or a narrative. So, so I think, you know, a lot of times the conversations that I've had in, in, even in simple conversations, when I'm talking to the CFO, it's like, man, this is expensive. Why do I need to go to cloud? I'm like, you know, like, do you want to be relevant five years from now, right? Is, is the only answer I keep giving them, right? And, and what I see is, if you look at the statistics of startup ecosystems, they say, you know, 90% of the startups will fail. And everybody's talking about celebrating startups with a data point that is all about failures. And yet, the enterprises want to be successful at a higher rate. But when you want to do innovation, you have to try as many times. You have to be at bat 10 times to get a shot, right? And, and, and people forget that part. So I, I think it's important to, to me to use that scenario to understand if there needs to be a fit. Uh, sometimes it's okay to not have a fit. Oh, just the last point on culture is just that I think we need to remember again, it goes both ways. You know, a company like X-Team, we have such selfless and humble people that if you make them feel like they're not part of the team, they're not going to stick around. You know, it needs to go both ways. What, what does my engineering partner expect from us culturally? How should we be engaging in this relationship? I think that's a great point. 
and probably our next question, let's put on our customer shoes and what advice would you give organizations that are looking for partners? What are a few best practices or are the questions they should be asking you so that they can be successful within that partnership? I think it again comes back to expectations, right? Like you need to figure out what matters most to you. You know, do you want a highly collaborative relationship? Because, you know, it's it's look for the type of culture that you think your teams are going to interact with best. It kind of goes back to the the Oscars example, right? If if prod breaks, how's your team going to feel about that? Are they the kind of team that is going to be expecting everyone to jump on at 2 a.m. and hustle and, and get things done? Or is this the kind of team that is maybe a slower pace? What is it that in terms of culture that you want to see? I think chase that rather than nest, like you are, you're, you're the one paying. So you might as well go find the culture you think is going to work best. And, and like you said, it, it needs to be, sometimes it needs to be complimentary. Sometimes it needs to be the opposite. You know, it, you don't want to have, if you're trying to disrupt and innovate, you don't want a the non-hustlers coming in. You want people who are going to really shake things up and break old patterns and come in and do that. So I think shop around, do a lot of soul searching on the company and the teams, the specific teams that will be working uh, on these projects and really try to understand them and really try to understand what skills they need complemented, which skills they need to be pushed on and shop around for exactly that because you are in the driver's seat. That said, once you do find the right partner, not everything's going to be absolutely perfect. And you're going to, like any relationship, need to find some give and take there to figure out, okay, like I said, how can we adapt to some of the things that will help your teams uh, give us the best outcomes? Making the most of it, right? I mean, it, it's one thing to select a partner, but are you working against the partner or are you working with the partner, right? It's a very important, and, and you can see that if you're willing to unlearn and learn then the partner can help influence you to say, hey, here are things that I'm seeing. How about we work with you? So I almost believe that, you know, one of the most important thing is, you know, again, it's shared interest. So figure out a way to work with, not work against. You know, that that's to me is, is the most important piece, right? Because we all have challenges, right? We'll all have our points where we'll fail in one or two places. But again, it goes back to the resiliency that we talked about. I think, you know, it comes with trust. I know you need to build the relationship, but it's what comes first, right? Your willingness to work or trust. I think the willingness to work is the seed to the harvest of trust. I think to me, that's the most important thing in my view. It's not important how you select them. It's what you do with them after you select them. That's extremely important. Uh, because you, you're going to make some mistakes in your selection process. There's going to be biases. There's going to be things. Of course, you're going to have challenges and sometimes you have to replace. But in most cases, working with them will help solve the problem and get you to a success criteria better than anything else. So, In what ways do you track that success? Many ways to track success, right? So w first of all, what does it mean? Maybe pick an example. I had uh, the goal of getting uh, 20 partners onboarded. So let's say I'm doing that. But I also had 20 incidents along the way, if I were to measure them, saying that there were uh, disagreements, there were uh, conflicts that came along the way. Did we address those things and 
did not take our eye off the ball of getting those 20 and have we become better as a team, right? There's some soft measurements, but there could be some nice hard metrics that you could go after, right? Um, especially if you measure conflicts, incidents, escalations, you know, which we, in some cases we've tried and we're able to do that, but it's really hard to do that, right? Because there is this study where the example is when they studied two groups of uh, nurses to do the checklist, right? One of them thought that did better, but found out that the group that had more incidents were honest in capturing all the incidents. So, you know, uh, I think to me, the ability for you to have those things captured honestly, it goes back to the earlier point you made, and survive that to achieve the desired outcome, right? Not lose that, you know, sight on, on the target. Um, that's probably uh, one way to look at it. If you purely look at success, you could still achieve 40 partners, right? But as a result of that, if you have destroyed the relationship, then your willingness to work with that partner will not exist for the next project. So I think you need to measure that. I, I think the word resiliency keeps coming back to me is when you have conflicts, when you have disagreements, when you have escalations, how did you handle them as a team? And was it one team or was it team on two sides of the equation? I love that. Yeah, for us, we track success with lines of code, of course. No, just kidding. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's like a relationship, like you said. It's it's hard to track success. I mean, is it hugs and kisses per day or fights per day? I mean, well, how do you track success in a relationship? It's it's not easy. It's very important for any company that engages a an engineering partner to have some clear ROI that they have in mind other than, hey, just build this thing. That's a very hard thing to define as a win. You know, at, at what point is it even done? Nothing like in, in the world of agile and iterations, nothing's ever done. So you re really have to. And I love how you really referred to more of the teamwork side of it, because I think that is what really matters the most. For me, it's, it's about do they notice momentum or not? We bake that into our tagline, which is keep moving forward. If they don't feel like they're moving forward when we talk to them, if they don't feel like, you know, whether that's velocity or feature shipping or just overall sense of confidence that we can deliver, then we aren't adding value. If, if there's no momentum, why did you even bring anyone outside? Like you might as well have just hired more people yourself because the only reason to go external is for speed and momentum and that agility to stay innovative. So if we're not giving you momentum, then this partnership doesn't make sense. So I think that's that's really the the big metric to focus on. I guess that's relationships too, right? Like you want to feel like you're progressing in a relationship, that it's not taking steps back or that it's not just going nowhere. So it's, it's a great analogy to think about. You both have successful, large global organizations. So let's direct this back to you. How do you manage success internally within your own teams? Well, you know, to start with, obviously, we have to figure out how to not be complacent. I think overconfidence is the number one reason. And I think the, the best way is, you know, I like your tagline, keep moving forward. You know, I, I remember, you know, one of the things that I had done for the team was present a slide where the rear view mirror was like a windshield and the windshield was like a rear view mirror. Like you don't design cars that way today. So success is the rear view mirror because it's happened in the past but there's a road ahead. 
So you, you can't take the eye off the road. The, the best way to do that is through small things on a daily basis. You keep up with the discipline. You keep up with the things that you need to do. So it becomes a habit rather than somebody having to think about it, right? And I, I think, again, it's not easy because, you know, teams are like, hey, why don't we take a moment to celebrate? Great, we'll celebrate. But there is a next game for which you need to prepare. So the discipline of doing the Monday review of last game and, and then going back to figure out, figuring out what you need to do to get better needs to happen consistently every week, every day. And that's the only way. The grind is the only way in my, in my book that'll make it for a success. Yeah, plus one of that, Sudhi. Disciplines and building discipline around best practices is, is certainly good. Having those, those right routines in place, especially when you're working, again, I'm assuming most engineering partners are going to be not in your office with you. So you have to figure out what those cadences and routines are going to be in order to work together. For us, we're, we're a bit of an unusual or different engineering company in that we're extremely people first. And the reason for that is our philosophy is that if we can keep their momentum high and keep their energy high, that will translate into forward moving progress for our partners. And so we just go all in on the people and uh, serving them, serving every little need that they have personally and professionally. Um, a great example is, you know, someone's moving apartments. That's a big momentum killer. If you've ever, if you've ever moved, which of course all human beings have, you know how much of a momentum killer that is. So we look for these moments in their lives uh, where we can add more momentum back in, you know, can we get you a co-working pass? Can we pay for the movers? Can we uh, do this or that? You know, how can we insert ourselves into uh, your momentum and, and be a part of that? And so we're constantly looking for new ways to support people, keep their energy high. They have $2,500 a year to spend on anything that energizes them. So there's kind of no excuse to not always be energized. And what we see is after 15 years, like that energy always translates into you know, wanting to wake up and add value and drive projects forward and help support our partners. So in terms of internally tracking success, of course, we have ways of, you know, regularly keeping up with our partners and make sure that they're happy with everything. But, you know, it's, it's more about how can we avoid even needing to have that conversation? How can we be so confident in our people and that they have the right expectations set, they have the right support systems in place, that the only direction they know is forward? Love that perspective, Ryan. I, I, I'm sure, you know, um, I'm probably going to borrow some of that idea. I, I really love it. One question, Chris, if you don't mind, you know, for Ryan. Ryan, one thing that that's a struggle or it's a challenge that we need to address, right? In, in your case, if I understand the model, are all of them a high individual contributor level? Or do you have, in our case, it's a pyramid, right? You have a few people that are really performing, then you have the soldiers or you know people who basically need to execute, then you need to bring in new people as you grow and groom them. And, and that is going to consistently be that way for a long time because we're doing project-based you know implementations. In your case, it's high individual. Con so do you see a contrast in, in those two models and how people may perform and and, and I can see why you're driving the people first agenda here, which is extremely critical. Yeah, so our model is definitely all high individual contributors. They will be on teams, but the reason companies come to us is they need an immediate on-demand high-performing team to just come right in, ramp up quickly, and start adding value by day one. 
So that's our model. That said, the more like, yeah, like Pyramid Junior model, I think if we were going to do that, we would just need to add even more support layers in place to ensure the mentorship, to ensure confidence is there, to ensure, especially with younger people and in the remote world, you, you need to be even more intentional about how to ensure that they're moving forward in their careers as well as personally, because it's all brand new and exciting to them. So yeah, you, you would just need a different strategy to add on top of that. As we start to look down the road and moving forward, how are companies able to leverage digital partnerships to build long-term strategic advantages in their organizations? I would agree, they, they certainly can, but it's not automatic. And that is the difference. So, I mean, one of the quotes that I certainly, this is from Alvin Toffler, right? The illiterate of the 21st century will not be those who cannot read and write, but those who cannot learn, unlearn, and relearn. Even for organizations, that is critical. Let's say that they have a partnership with me, right? It's not about what they achieved today. Do I have the capability today it's Kubernetes, tomorrow it's service mesh, tomorrow, day after tomorrow it's something else? They can come and tell me, hey, you don't have 10 years of experience of a new technology platform that is just one year old. What they need to look at from me is, do I invest enough to help learn fast and get them through that journey? If they can recognize that and work with the partners and the partners recognize that that is how they need to provide value, right? It's not the knowledge of today, it's how quickly you can acquire the knowledge for tomorrow and provide them that advantage. I do see a positive path ahead for that long-term relationship. Yeah, I, I think again, back to Fox Broadcasting and that 15-year relationship, there's a long-term you know, strategic approach that they've taken to hold an advantage, which is have some really good, trustable partners in place that allow you to pivot as much as you need. And Fox pivots a lot. You know, they, they pivot in a lot of different ways. But what the one consistency that they have is, is their partners and their partnerships. And that allows them to innovate because, again, most in-house teams don't have time for innovation. A lot of the things we get handed is either the stuff that they don't have time for or the, or the stuff that they really want to focus on innovation and getting ahead of the game. Or, and, and I love when they do hackathons with us, right? They, they let our teams do a hackathon with them and come up with innovative ideas. And like, if you really want to build long-term strategic advantage, take advantage of an external partner that can be there to help you actually have time for the innovation, that can allow you to also maintain your reputation. I think that's something we don't really think about in it. But in a time like this, you don't want to have to lay off 10,000 people and then expect great talent to want to come work with you. You've kind of shunned everyone from, from your doorstep. But if you still had great relationships in place with external partners, nothing changes, right? The innovation still keeps going. So there's so many different ways that you can leverage an external relationship to keep, again, that 15-year example of no matter how much you want to pivot, no matter how many people you want, you want to lay off, no matter how many crazy things like AI pop up along the way, you're going to have these consistent, reliable, trusted partners in place that are going to be on your side, like you said earlier, working with you, not against you, with your best interest in place that understands your culture, that understands every one of your individual team's cultures and will always be there to keep things moving forward. Look at that. Even makes the tagline in at the end. How about that? <laughs> Ryan does the summary for us. We love it. <laughs> I was just reading ChatGPT. That's all. 
Such an awesome conversation. Thank you, Ryan. Thank you, Sudi. Appreciate both of your perspectives and your time with us today. Amazing. Thank you. Thank you, uh, Ryan. Thanks, Chris. Appreciate it. You too, Sudi. And thanks to all of you for listening. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe to the show on your favorite platform and leave a review. Your feedback helps us improve, grow, and reach a wider audience. If you have any questions, comments, or ideas for the show, you can connect with us throughout social media and online at Chris Hood Show or chrishood.com. And please share this episode with your friends, family, colleagues, or anyone else looking to grow their business and start their own digital evolution. Until next week, take care and stay connected.